I was going to tell you that my wife and I had a baby, but I can't lie in church. And my wife is in the, she's here today, and she would, she would definitely say, that's not my baby. So we're in a parent series. So I thought, why not bring a baby on stage? That would be a great way to enhance the beauty of the stage. You see? So I've been a parent for 24 years. So I, this is not my baby, okay? And uh, I remember the first time that I held my oldest. So she's going to be 24 this, this January. And I remember the doctor giving me the baby, and I was like, oh, okay, what, what do I do with this baby? Like I had never been trained to be a dad. How many dads had that experience the first time you held your first child? Like you're freaking out going, okay, uh, goo, 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 goo. That's how I felt. Like the only training I ever got, let me show you, let me show you my other baby. That's the other baby. In high school, I had to take home ec. And part of our home ec uh, project was that you had to carry around an egg a real egg, not, this is an Easter egg, plastic egg. But you had to carry around an egg for two weeks. And the whole idea was that, you know, you're going to be responsible for this baby. You're giving a baby to, to a high schooler. I think I was a junior at the time. And, of course, I played football, so all the football players are trying to knock my baby out of my hands. I'm like, you guys are so cruel to babies. You, wouldn't, you would not know how many people actually went through several children in, in those two weeks. So what I learned from this baby was don't drop them and don't leave them somewhere, which is still great parenting tips. So I walked in today. This is not my baby. So I walked in today, and this little girl is holding her, her, her baby brother. And I'm like, oh, that's so cute. How old? And the mom looks at me. I'm like, okay, why is this so awkward? She goes, it's actually not a real baby. This is a doll. But it is so lifelike. So I'm holding it, and people are coming up to me going, oh, how old? And this, I'm like, uh, do, I, do, I, do I keep going on with this? Like how old they are? And, but the reason I bring this up is when I was a kid growing up, this was what you brought to school. Today, they have babies just, and I have to hold the head because the head moves like a real baby. Like, like if I let it go, it's going to. It's going to fall, and, and then you guys would, like, trip out, you know. So I thought about coming out and dropping the baby, and I was like, oh, you guys would lose your flipping minds if I did that, you know. I would never do that. But, you know, it, it, so I walk into the back, into the green room, and all the worship team's going, oh, what a cute baby. What a, and I'm playing with them, like, yes, you want to touch them? And, but it's heavy. The whole point is this. Like, growing up, that's what our teaching tool was. Today, it's things like this. And they actually have babies now that you can program them that will cry at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you've got to get up and you've got to take care of the baby. I, I'm just going to give Jason the baby back so I'm not holding it the entire time. Jason, will you come take this for me? Say goodbye. Take care of my baby. But so much has changed in just the time that I've graduated, the time I've been a parent. Uh, so I have a 24-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 15-year-old. So I've gone through the toddler stages, the terrible twos, the preteens. I've done all those. 
But even though I've, I've experienced teenagers, raising a 15-year-old now is completely different than when my first was a, was a teenager. And so, so much has changed. And so what we're talking about today is three unchanging principles from God's word. So we're going to be looking at, at, at God's word and, and some principles that don't change. So last week, I want to just recap real quick. Uh, we started off with the priorities of parents. And Pastor Sean taught that the first priority of any good relationship is your relationship with God. Like, that is where healthy relationships start. If I'm a, if I'm a godly man, then I'm going to have a godly marriage. Right? If I'm, a, if I'm a godly man or working on becoming a godly man, I, I will be hopefully a godly parent and a godly coworker and a godly neighbor. Does that, does, does that make sense? So it begins with my relationship with God. And then the second principle was, as a follower of Jesus, I need to lead my family. I need to set the example. Because my kids see what I do, and they also see what I say. Or they hear what I say and see what I do. And if it doesn't match up, then they get this conflicting uh, idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Pastor Sean made this statement last week. I wonder if our half-hearted focus on God is making our children immune to the faith that we say is so important. Like, why are kids walking away from faith? And a lot of times it's because they see the inconsistency in their parents. And let me just say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you want your kids to be followers of Jesus. And if you're a new parent, your first step in, in, in wanting your child to walk in your faith is baby dedication. We have one coming up next week, and I hope that you would sign up for that. Baby dedication is, is, is the first step for parents to say, I want to raise my kid to find and follow Jesus. And it allows us as your church family to support you. So if you go to the app, you can click on baby dedication and sign up for that next week. But today we're going to look at the life of Jesus. You're saying, life of Jesus? Jesus wasn't a parent. He did travel with 12 babies. The disciples a lot of times were, were like little kids. But he did travel, and in his travels he interacted with people that depended on him, that counted on him, and that needed his help. And then today we're going to look at an encounter that he has with children and in this encounter, we're going to see three things that he does that are three principles that never change for healthy relationships. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse number 13. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But his disciples, the big babies, scolded the parents for bothering him, him being Jesus. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples and he said to them, uh, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. I tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he looked at the children, I'm sorry, then he took the children into his arms, and he placed his hand on their head, and he blessed them. In this interaction, we're going to see three unchanging principles for any healthy relationship, whether you're a parent, whether you're in a dating relationship, uh, whether you're, it's a relationship with your parents or your children, coworkers, these principles are unchanging for healthy relationships. And here's the first one, a loving touch. So if you want to take your communication cards and flip them over and start taking notes, uh, the first unchanging principle in healthy relationships is a loving touch. Notice that these parents are bringing their children to Jesus. And the stated purpose was so that they, Jesus would touch them and bless them. So I'm just curious, real quick, how many of you are touchy-feely people? Raise your hand. Touchy-feely people don't mind raising their hand. If I had reversed that and asked, who's not touchy-feely, you wouldn't raise your hand because you're not touchy-feely. You don't care. 
So apparently, Jesus doesn't mind touching and, and feely stuff, especially with children. Now, I'm not, like, real touchy-feely. So last night after the service, people were coming up and hugging me. I don't care. I'll hug you. Uh, that's just not my natural response. I didn't grow up in a huggy-feely home, so that's not my first thing. I'll shake your hand. Uh, but, it, but anyways, so Jesus does not mind embracing these kids. The actual word here for touch is the word for attachment, to embrace. The idea behind it is like when, when your kids were small and you would come home, whether it's mom or dad, and they would burst through the door and they would wrap themselves around you or you'd bend down and pick them up, okay? That's the type of embrace that this word is talking about. So when Jesus went to touch these kids, it wasn't just like, be healed. It wasn't that. That would be really weird. Be healed. No. He actually embraced them. Most likely he was sitting down and, and scooped them up into his lap and he touched them. Why? Why would parents bring their kids for a rabbi to touch them? Because they understood the power of touch. They understood that there's physical healing and emotional healing in touch. Urban Child Institute wrote this. Infants who experience more physical contact with caregivers demonstrate increased mental development in the first six months of their life compared to children who don't receive it. That's a true statement. Uh, we've shared this illustration before, but to, to illustrate this point, there was a king back in the 13th century. His name was King Frederick II. Wanted to do an experiment with babies, which I think is horrible. And the, and the experiment went horribly wrong. But the experiment was this. If we take 50 babies and we never touch them, we take care of them, we feed them, and we change them, but we never show affection to them, uh, he wanted to see what language they would speak, which I don't understand how not touching a baby, um, what language they speak, but he wanted to see what language they would speak if they were never shown affection. And like I said, the, the experiment went horribly wrong because none of the 50 babies made it through the first year. And it wasn't for lack of care. It wasn't for lack of nourishment. It was lack of touch. It was a lack of, of physical care for them. Jesus understood this. I think we've experienced that this past year and a half going through COVID. It has emotionally and mentally affected our health because of the lack of interaction that we've had with, with people. Jesus understood touch was powerful. And in Mark chapter 1, we had this story where this man who has leprosy is coming up to Jesus. Starting in verse 40, it says this. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus, and he begged him, If you are willing, you can make me heal. Uh, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. This word touch is the exact same word that is used in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus touches the kids. Different type of touch. I mean, same, same idea, but the, the application is different. I don't think Jesus had this man, grown man, sit in his lap. Okay, that wouldn't have been appropriate. So we understand what appropriate touch looks like. With children, yes, them sitting in your lap, another grown man in your lap, not appropriate unless you're Santa Claus. I'm just saying that. So the touch was the same. It was a caring touch. Let's continue reading. So he says, I am willing to heal you. And then he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy departed from the man and he was healed. So my question is this. When was the man healed? When Jesus touched him or when Jesus said, be healed? I think the text leans towards when Jesus said, be healed. So why 
would Jesus touch him? Like, if you had leprosy in that day, you had to leave your family and live outside the city walls. You were ceremonially unclean, and medically, you were, you were contagious. And so, when anytime someone came around you, even if it was your family, you had to say, unclean. Don't come near me. I believe, and this is just my theory, the reason that Jesus touched him wasn't for healing, physical. It was for emotional. This man had not experienced human touch since getting leprosy. Now, we don't know how long that was. And we know that Jesus had the ability and at other times had said to people, be healed. Get up and walk. You can see. You can hear. You have life again. All those miracles he simply did by speaking. And I believe this one he did as well. But he touched the man because he knows that there is actually healing in touch, emotional healing. And when we appropriately touch our children, we are helping to show them what compassion and acceptance and belonging and care actually looks like. This is important so that our children know what appropriate touch looks like. We got this series from Greg Crochelle, who's a pastor in Oklahoma, and he said this. When they, they being your children, learn to be touched appropriately by a loving and godly person, then they will learn to say no to inappropriate touch by ungodly people. So as parents, when we lovingly and appropriately touch our children and hug our children, they know what appropriate touch looks like. And when someone tries to touch them inappropriately, they'll say no. Because here's the thing. Unhealthy actions, inappropriate actions, never lead to healthy relationships. Parent-child, boyfriend-girlfriend, fiancé, it, do it doesn't matter. Unhealthy actions and habits never lead to healthy relationships. As children grow, they need touch. Not just as a baby. Uh, babies seem to be a lot more needy, and we like holding babies. But you know that preteens and teenagers need as much touch as babies? They do. I'm, I'm excited for this week's life group. Because we're going to be talking about these three principles in life group. And I can't wait to hear some of the advice. Now, I can give you things that my wife and I have done with our kids. It may apply to you. It may not apply to you. But in life group, I mean, you're going to get 15, 20 other people and their experience. Uh, some of you are not in life groups, so what we've done for anyone at our church that wants to continue the conversation of parenting, we've started a Facebook group that's going to go for two weeks because the series lasts for, for this week and, and one more week. And if you want to be part of a conversation about parenting, whether you receive advice or you're giving advice, I'm going to ask you to text parent. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to ask you to, to text uh, parents to that number. Uh, you'll be invited to the group, and this week you can start conversations. Like, if you've got terrible twos, what do you do? Especially if this is your first terrible two. Well, there's a wealth of knowledge, parenting knowledge, in this room and in our other locations that you can actually be bouncing ideas off of and getting great advice. And so I hope that you'll text that number and, and, and get, the, get the help. I also want to encourage you, don't miss life groups. This week, life groups, the questions and the interactions and the conversations are going to be incredible. And even if you're not a parent, uh, these, these principles apply to relationships. So I, I have a life group that's mainly retired people. And I thought, like, how is this going to work? Most of them don't have children. They're empty nesters. So how are, how are these parenting conversations going to go? 
and we had the most wonderful conversations about being grandparents because it still applies. You still have influence in your grandchildren's lives. And so uh, no matter what stage you are, no matter if you have kids, don't have kids, uh, life groups this week are going to be incredible. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you're a part of it. If you're not a naturally affectionate person, I want you to know that it's important that you learn to become affectionate with your kids. And appropriately so. Because they need it. That's, that's an unchanging principle that we see in God's word. The second unchanging principle is this. Abundant time. Abundant time. Kids need time. So as we continue to read, it says, but the disciples, the big babies, they scolded the parents for bringing their kids to Jesus because he's so busy. And Jesus said, let them come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. I want you to know that the disciples weren't wrong in their assessment of Jesus' busyness. They'd been walking with him for three and a half years. They knew that Jesus never had a moment for himself. Anytime he actually even tried to get away to pray, people found him. And so they know how busy he is. Now, I'm not sure if they're aware of, of the context, but in verse number 17, the Bible says that Jesus is actually leaving this interaction with the children to go to Jerusalem for the, his last week of his life. So I want you to think about this for a moment. What is on Jesus' mind at this moment, knowing that in just seven days he's going to die to pay for the sins of the world? Like, could you imagine what's in his mind and in his heart? And then all of a sudden, a group of kids come up to him. And that's exactly what his disciples are thinking. Like, you don't have time for this. There are people that need to be healed. These kids weren't sick. He wasn't touching them to be sick or to be healed. They just, the parents just wanted Jesus to touch them and, and, and bless them. So the disciples are like, he's a busy man. He teaches. People are following him. But Jesus, he uses this moment as a teaching moment. And he says, you know what? Don't forbid them from coming to me. One, I want to spend time with them. It's important that we pour into children. But two, this is how people come to faith in God. Like you have to come depending, complete dependence on God and in faith in him. So Jesus actually flips the script on them and teaches them a, a, a principle about, no, this is how you actually enter into a relationship with God. It's like a child. It's the faith of a child. But Jesus is going to spend some time with him. He rearranges his schedule, his busy schedule, to spend time with people. And in that day, children were seen and not heard. With people that didn't technically have the same level of importance. So my question to you is, do you rearrange your schedule for people that may not be as important in your mind as you think? Hopefully you rearrange your schedule for your kids. A lot of times as parents, we get busy. And especially if you're a single parent. You are busy because you're doing twice the work that parents, uh, where's the home that has two parents. And so we get busy. We've got deadlines and we've got appointments and we've got schedules. and we've got, I mean, we're taxi drivers. There's so much a part of our life that sometimes we fall into the same mindset as the disciples that we're just too busy for certain things. I call it drive-through parenting. We've all been through drive-thrus. Don't lie, right? We go to Dunkin' at least once a day, most of us. So here's my order when I go to Dunkin'. I want a medium hot, extra, extra. Two Boston creams, egg cheese on a croissant. You said two Boston creams? Yes. Ecclesiastes says two is better than one. 
But that's our order. Like, I've learned to order from Dunkin'. You don't go in and go, I would like a hot coffee. Duh, they know it's coffee. You don't have to use the word. That's, you're using too much time by saying coffee. I don't say extra sugar and extra cream. That's too many words. Just extra, extra. They know what you mean. And I think sometimes, as parents, we do the same thing with our kids. They jump in the car after school. How was school? Great. You got practice today? Yes. You got homework? Yes. Didn't do drugs, did you? Great. Okay, let's go. And that is our parenting interaction with our kids. You say, that's sort of an exaggeration. Uh, according to Lifetime, uh, dads spend seven minutes, meaningful minutes a day with their kids in conversation. Moms do a little bit better at 11. I'm talking about meaningful. I'm not talking about how was your day. You know, you didn't do drugs, right? Um, I'm talking about meaningful conversations about what went on in their life. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And as parents, we need to slow down, rearrange our schedules so that we can give them what they need. All relationships that are going to be healthy need time. Even our relationship with our Heavenly Father. If we're not putting in the time, then we don't have the kind of relationship that he wants for us to have. Here's the hard truth. Parents, here's the hard truth. I'm just going to say it. We have time for what we want to do. It's true. I have time to play golf. I make time for it. And our kids know when we will, we're willing to make time, rearrange our schedules for other things, and we don't do it for them. That sends the message that they're not as important as we say they are. You say, well, I don't have kids, or how can I pour into kids? I'm, I, I love what we did in Kenya. I'm glad that we're making a difference in the lives of those kids that we may never meet this side of heaven. You can make a difference not only in your kids' lives, but in other kids' lives here at Grace Church. Like, you could be a part of Grace Kids, pouring into the lives of kids every weekend, um, showing them what, what it looks like to be a passionate follower of Jesus. If you want to work with students, we have middle school and high school students that love to spend time with you. And I understand that when your kids get older, like my daughter doesn't run up to me anymore and throw her arms around me or her, uh, around my leg and hug me. She's 15. That's not cool. But she will sort of nudge up against me and allow me to put her arm, my arm around her. So it looks different. And how you would interact with those kids compared to your kids would look different, but we need to make time. Here's the third unchanging principle, encouraging talk. Encouraging talk. So Jesus scoops these kids up into his arms, and he blesses them. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the actual words that Jesus used to bless them. But because I know he's the son of God, and he knows what's going on in their lives, I know that his encouragement and his blessing was specific to each child. It wasn't generic. He didn't give little Jimmy and, and Susie the same blessing. Because I'm sure what was going on in their hearts was completely different. So Jesus, knowing that child because he's God, spoke love and acceptance and positive words into that child's life to make a difference in their life. Our words have a huge impact on people. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4, gentle words are like tree of life. But deceitful tongue or hurtful words crush a spirit. Like your words, parents, matter. And not just your spoken words, written words. Kids are on Facebook, TikTok, all these other things. 
and, and their self-esteem is so low because of what is being said to them and about them that most kids have so, so, such low self-esteem because they don't get the positive reinforcement that they need by the most important people in their life, which is not their friends. It's you. Growing up, playing sports, I lived for my dad's approval. I could care less what my coach said about my three-pointer or my touchdown. What did dad think? And I'm telling you, mom and dads, you have, a, you have a great opportunity, and you have a limited opportunity. Blink, and your kid's out of your house. I've got two that are gone, and one that will be gone in two years. And I still remember when I was holding and going, holy crap, what do I do with this kid? And now I'm, I'm like almost a, an empty nester. I promise you, I promise you, you will never see a person at the end of their life go, you know what, I spent way too much time with my kids. I've never heard it. Never heard it. I've never heard someone say at the end of their life, you know what, I spent too much time pouring my life into my friends and my family and all, all the significant relationships I've ever had. You never hear that. So we need to make sure that we speak life into them. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy to the bones. Proverbs 18, 20. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. Right words bring satisfaction. Over and over and over in the scriptures, you see that our words have the power to bring healing or destruction. And my question is, what do you do with your kids? I'm not saying that you can't get on them. I mean, that's part of parenting is that you have to use correction and direction. But do you also catch them doing things right? And sometimes we fall into that negative uh, pattern where we just find them doing things wrong. And we never praise them for doing things right. Like they should just do that. Well, why not praise them? Praise the things that you want repeated. There's one time in the Bible where we actually have a written account of the audible voice of God. And it's in Matthew chapter 3. It's at Jesus' baptism. Uh, heavens open and a voice, a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. God the Father thought it important enough to tell God the Son what he felt about him. And I'm pretty sure Jesus knew how his father felt. I mean, he was God. And I think sometimes we think, well, my kids know. My kids know that I love them. Okay, is it because you've told them? Or just because you've fed them <laughs> and you don't charge them rent? Or is it because you've spent time with them, you lovingly hug them, and you speak words of life into, the, into their life? I, I, I think it's important that we do that. And these principles do not change. For healthy relationships, all relationships, it needs touch, time, and talk. And so I'm going to ask as we wrap up, which of these areas do you need to grow in? And in which relationship do you need to grow this in? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to reflect. Like, is it time? Is it touch? Or is it my, is it my talk with my kids? That if I just got better at that, I think I would have a much healthier relationship. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I am not a touchy-feely person, and I, I need God's help. The Bible says you have not because you've asked not.
God can change your heart towards uh, appropriate affection to your children. And kids in their preteens and teen years need as much touch and affection as when they were babies. They may say, I don't want that, leave me alone. But it's not what statistics say. Maybe the relationship that you need to work on today is not with your kids or your spouse or your co-neighbor. Uh, maybe it's with God. And you need to come to God like a child in complete dependence in faith and begin a relationship with him so that you can have healthy relationships with other people. I don't know what your next step is. I don't, I don't know where you need to grow in, in these areas. And so I'm just going to ask God to do what he does in people's hearts and minds so you know what the next appropriate step is. God, I pray for those that are here today. Um, thank you for scripture that gives us principles that never change. God, there are philosophies on parenting that have changed. They change every single year. And so as parents, it's hard to know, like, what do we do? God, I'm, I'm grateful for the principles of scripture that never change. God, you never change. And how, uh, what healthy relationships look like, God, you, you've told us what they look like. And so I'm, I'm praying for us as we evaluate our relationships, whether it's with our kids, our spouse, with, with neighbors, or even with you. God, what's our next step in, in building healthy relationships? And God, give us, give us the desire to do that. Help us to overcome the uncomfortableness or the awkwardness to have meaningful conversations or, or uh, affectionate uh, hugs so that we can demonstrate what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. God, our, our kids need to see that. They don't see it anywhere else. They need to see it from us. So God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.